If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our series in 1 Peter. And during uh, this book, uh, we're titling this A Living Hope. And it's someone to look forward to in the midst of trials and suffering. And we'll be in this until March. And so uh, I'd encourage you to cycle through the books of 1 and 2 Peter uh, over the next few weeks, just to make yourself familiar with the language and the themes of this. Uh, as we saw in the video that we watched a little while ago, uh, Peter is writing to believers in modern-day Turkey, uh, and in that area of Asia Minor, they have experienced a tremendous amount of suffering and trials. So Peter is really just writing to encourage them and to help them in the midst of suffering and in the midst of devastating trials. He wants them to shift uh, their focus. He wants them to see the blessings and the goodness of God in the midst of their suffering. And, you know, the funny thing about that is uh, the believers there already are experiencing the goodness of God. And so Peter is really just uh, reiterating or strengthening what they already know. And so this morning we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. Uh, and so in just a second, we'll read that. But before we do, uh, let me just ask this. Have you been through any trials? Right, just raise your hand if you're experiencing, yeah, a couple of you. You're walking through a difficult period of your life or you're struggling through a season of difficulty or maybe uh, you've been sideswiped by something and your, your life has been sort of derailed in some way, maybe emotionally, maybe in your marriage maybe in your finances or your career, or in some way you're experiencing a trial. And in that way, it has, you know, it has knocked you off. And maybe it has hit you and, and sort of bumped you, and you're not quite sure uh, what normal is anymore. And you're just kind of hoping for a new normal. Uh, when that happens, and it happens to everybody, um, James tells us that when trials come into your life, that we should rejoice. He doesn't say if trials. And so for all of us, the reality of trials is that you're either just coming out of one, you're in the middle of one, or you're about to step into one, right? That's just reality for all of us. And trials come in different sizes and shapes. And so I think Peter, right here in this section, he wants to give them insights into their trials. It's really easy to get discouraged. It's really easy to get down and to be frustrated. Uh, in the midst of trials, even to be devastated. You know, the loss of hope uh, leads to despair. And if you've ever been in despair, it's a terrible place. Uh, despair is when there's, you've just lost all hope and there's, no, there's not even the uh, inkling that something will get better and you just sort of find yourself in a terrible position where you want uh, nothing more than for your condition to end. I was recently reading about a man named Radha from Cambodia in a book called Intended for Evil. And he was describing the communist takeover in the Khmer Rouge in the 1970s of Cambodia. And if you're not familiar with that, there were up to 25% of Cambodians were exterminated through this communist regime, forcefully taking over. Now, there's very few countries who have experienced 25% extermination of their population. But in the midst of that, over several years, 
uh, people began to lose hope. And in that communist regime, uh, this author describes, in this book Intended for Evil, he describes the absolute despair that takes over as people don't trust each other, as there are spies and soldiers and communist officials everywhere, and you can't trust anybody. And so he describes in the prologue in this book, Intended for Evil, he describes the utter despair of this man named Radah, and he is laying on top of a termite hill in the middle of the night, just out of hope, completely without hope, knowing that there are spies around the field. Uh, It says he attempted suicide by worship song. He knew that the quickest way for him to be... uh, for him to be killed, was to sing this worship song. And so, not speaking English, he remembered a song that missionaries used to sing, This World is Not My Home. And he knew that if he sang at the top of his lungs, on top of this hill, this little termite mound in a paddy field, that soldiers would come out of the darkness on the edges of the field to kill him. And so, without hope, In complete despair, as he's about to start singing, he says, the Lord spoke to me and said, I have a plan for your life. And not believing at first, he begins to sing loudly, this world is not my home. He sings louder and louder in English and hears rustling in the bushes and once again he hears the words, I have a plan for your life. And then he said, he, it says he kept singing, but inside he also spoke to God, if you really have a plan for my life, he thought, you should help me now. It continues, just then a group of soldiers stepped out of the darkness. They had been hanging around the communal kitchen under the tin roof and out of the rain, as was their custom, but had gone for a walk picking their way across the tops of the dikes. They heard the strange music and headed over to investigate. Their leader, a skinny 14-year-old named Sal, carried an AK-47. Comrade, he demanded, what language are you singing in? Radha had expected this. He was tired, without hope, and this was the easiest way out of the rice field. All he had to say was English. And ideally, Sal would just shoot him on the spot. Although there was an excellent chance he could be clubbed to death and his body would be dumped in a grave. It didn't seem like such a bad way to go. Suicide by worship song. But as Sal was speaking, Radah heard the voice again. I have a plan for your life. It repeated. Radah didn't know what to do. He didn't really know what he was doing since he couldn't think clearly, but he changed his mind and said, it's not really a language, it's just gibberish sounds I put together. Sal bought it. Go to sleep, instructed the teen, laughing. You have to go to work in the morning. And Radar rolled over and went to sleep. You know, in the midst of a hopeless situation, the voice of God can penetrate when you've lost all despair The voice of God can jump in, and when there's no other hope, He can speak and infuse light and darkness and hope and joy in the midst of despair and suffering. If you've ever read the book, The Insanity of God, or seen the movie, The Insanity of God, 
It's an incredible book, an incredible uh, chronicle of the suffering that believers experience around the world. And in the midst of their suffering, this man, uh, Nick Ripkin, went and interviewed believers in the worst of suffering. And he only had one question for them. Is Jesus worth it? Suffering as a result of their witness for Jesus, his only question was, is he worth it? Is it worth knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord, testifying to who he is? Is it worth the experience of all the suffering that you're going through? And to a person, every one of them said, yes, yes, it is worth it. Peter is writing to believers in that situation. In Rome, uh, from, in the Roman Empire, they have given their life to Christ. And as a result of their testimony, they're no longer participating in the customary cultural household worship of God's. You see, in the Roman uh, culture and system at that time, you, uh, if you were to go to a dinner party with friends, it would be customary to you to nod and to bow and to light a candle and to burn incense and to say a prayer and to touch the head of an idol that represents the God of that household. And anywhere you went, uh, there was a custom or an opportunity for you to worship the pantheon of gods that Rome had uh, officially um, authorized for worship. Even Caesar was an authorized deity to be worshipped. And these believers were standing up and saying, there is only one true God. There is only one true God and His name is Jesus And it gives you an opportunity to repent. And so they refused to participate in all the idolatry that was taking place around them. They refused to give in and to worship other deities. And it made them absolutely hated. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see riots are started and people are stoned and they're thrown off cliffs and people are dying everywhere because they're refusing to worship. And this is the situation. There was a Caesar named Nero who torched half of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. And and as a result of that, there was absolute devastating suffering that was happening all over the empire as a result. And Peter is writing to them these words. So let's read verses 3 through 9 together. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we hear your word, 
And we pray in Jesus' name that you would take your word and that you would plant it deep in our hearts. That as we experience trials and suffering, as we walk through this dark world, that you might give us hope. That you might speak peace into the midst of our trials and joy and light and truth. That we may suffer according to your purpose and your plan. That we may not lose hope. That our faith would be tried and tested and would remain steadfast and enduring and pure that you may use us for your glory and your majesty. Would you take these words and use them for your glory today? Teach us by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to look at four points of this sort of outline that you see in those verses. Number one, we're going to look at the trials. He talks about various trials in verse 6. The second thing we're going to talk about is why they're able to rejoice in the middle of those trials. The third thing we're going to talk about is there's an important function for trials. And he shows us that in this thing. So if you're saying, why, why, why am I experiencing this? Why me? Uh, Peter is going to give you the reason for that. And the fourth thing is he's going to help them be confident and assured of their faith in the midst of these trials. So let's start at the first part. Verse 6 says, though now you have been grieved by various trials. You know, I can look around the room and I can think of people in my life and I can see that they have been grieved by various trials. There are a variety of trials that all of us experience, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it is in relationships, whether it is in a career. There are a, a tremendous amount of trials that we all go through. And, and Peter doesn't point out the different trials, the specific trials that they're going through, but we know that they're bad. We know that they're hard. We know that they're difficult because we're humans, right? And we, we've lived long enough that, that this is a hard life. And things happen that we don't understand. We can't wrap our mind around why this happened, these trials. And Peter is saying, you have been grieved by various trials. But listen to the way he describes these trials. He says, for a little while. For a little while. Let's take that little phrase, for a little while. You experience a trial. And we, we call them seasons, right? And seasons could last three days, three weeks, three months, or three years. As we work through a trial or a circumstance or a situation, God in His mercy limits the effect of that trial. He limits the impact and the longevity of that trial. Every trial has an expiration date. Every season of difficulty that you have has a future date that God knows that the burden will be lifted. Either by, listen, by changing you under your circumstances and helping you to cope and adapt, or by changing your circumstances. But every season, every trial has a period. And it has an expiration date, and it won't last forever. Now, for some of you, you need to hear that today. You need to hear that this is not permanent, that the situation that you're in right now, the circumstances, the trial that you're in, it's temporary, and it's limited in its scope and in its time. The next thing Peter says, if necessary. Isn't that an interesting phrase, if necessary? The trial that you're going through, if necessary, I think what he's getting at there is that, that trials don't just come into your life without a purpose, without a reason, without God using it for a specific 
thing. That there's something in your life as a believer that he is trying to do. And he uses tools, right? Uh, there are different tools for different jobs. I don't know this from experience. Uh, I'm not much of a handyman. I have a handful of tools. They're in this big uh, sort of suitcase thing. And I just kind of try to use them for everything. Um, but I know from other people that there are right tools for right jobs. Um, and they use them in the right circumstances. And in the same way, God will take the right trial and he will sort of uh, allow it to uh, enter your life at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, to accomplish the right thing. So Peter is saying, you're experiencing these trials for a little while, and if necessary, uh, you've been grieved by them. And none of us want trials. All of us want out of trials. Uh, and so the grieving process, the painful process, is necessary. And we're going to get to that in a little while. But the second thing I want you to see is that Peter is expecting them, Peter is assuring them, and Peter is affirming the fact that they are rejoicing. The believers are, in fact, rejoicing. We know this because the testimony of the book of Acts is that people are willingly giving their life to Christ. And they're willingly laying down their life uh, in a testimony to Jesus. Um, we talked about the persecuted church in the month of December. And as Americans who experience a limited amount of persecution, we think, Lord, lift the persecution on these believers. And so we learn from the believers in Syria that they're not asking for the persecution to stop. They're actually asking that God would help them to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of their suffering. That's a different perspective. They actually pray for us that we will experience persecution because of its purifying, cleansing effect, because of the way that they experience God in the midst of those trials. So Syrian believers are praying for you that God will bring trials and persecution into your life. Thanks, guys. We appreciate that. Uh, maybe you could change that prayer request uh, into something different. But they want that because they are rejoicing. They are actually currently rejoicing in God their Savior, in the joy that He is filling them with. And so Peter highlights the things that they have, the reasons that they are rejoicing. And just rapid fire, you can see them uh, here in verses 3 through 6. He has caused them to be born again. This gives us an image of Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 saying, You must be born again. That we were dead in our trespasses. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we were once enemies of God. We were cut off from Him. Ezekiel 37 paints this picture of dead bones all over the valley. And in the midst of these dead bones, the Lord breathes His Spirit into them and causes the dead to rise. In the same way that Jesus tells Nicodemus, I mean not Nicodemus, but when Jesus tells Lazarus, come out of the grave. We were dead in our sins and He caused us to come alive, to be born again. And this new life He describes next as a, uh, a new life in Christ. That it is a living hope. That we're not just um, hopeful because we're going to have some financial blessing or because we have some sort of best life now sort of thing. But, but we're hopeful because we have followed a person. Because a person has entered our suffering. Jesus has entered our suffering and He has given Himself for us. And so our hope isn't just in something, but it's in someone. 
And that someone has come near to us through the Holy Spirit that we have dwelling within us. Our helper. Jesus said that he is your helper. And he comes alongside of us and he gives us hope and joy. And so we have a living hope. A friend from high school, actually an acquaintance, passed away last week. And, and over the last week, I have uh, been in touch with several friends from high school, not, just as they've been grieving, uh, experiencing the loss of someone. And it reminded me of 1 Thessalonians 4, that uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so through Jesus, God will bring with him everyone who dies uh, in Christ. And so... Peter, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul just writes, so we don't grieve like other people who have no hope. Death is different for the believer. It's sad and it's painful and it's extraordinarily hard, but we grieve in a way that says there is a resurrection and we know the one who is resurrected. And because we know the one who is resurrected, who is living now, because he is alive, we don't grieve in the same way. We grieve, death hurts, but death, where is your sting, right? It's been taken away because Jesus has removed the sting of death by rising from the dead. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 59, if in Christ we have hope in this world only, we are of all people to be most pitied. That is, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, everyone in the world should feel terribly sorry for us. We would be a pathetic group of people. But because Christ is raised from the dead, we grieve in a different way. We grieve and we're mourning, but it's mingled with hope that we will see our loved ones again. We will see them again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope, and it's different than the world. They are mortified by what happens once we cross that line. Peter goes on to encourage them, You rejoice because you have an inheritance. Jesus said, If I leave, I will go and prepare a place for you. I will give you a dwelling place and there will be an inheritance for you. He talks about rewards and he talks about blessings and he talks about things that you will get as a believer once you die and you come into glory that there will be uh, an accumulation of rewards based on the things that you do in Christ in this world. You are accruing a savings account. I don't know how big your savings account is on earth, Um, But you are accruing currently a savings account in heaven if you are in Christ. Rewards and blessings. Anything you do in faith, anything that you do for Christ, for the kingdom, any sacrifice you give, God says, I see those things. You know, a group of people show up here at uh, 745 this morning and, and they're shoveling snow by the trailer and they're, they're doing things, they're setting things up and plugging. Those are little sacrifices that they do for the kingdom to set up an environment so that you can come in and worship. It's a small thing, but it's the kind of thing that if done in faith, God says, I see that. I see that prayer that you pray during the week, that sacrifice that you make, that humble Uh, offering that you give and the offering plate. I see all those things. And when you choose by faith to give, God says, I see that. And there is a reward for you. And he says it's imperishable, right? Have you ever saved something and you pull it out and it's messed up because it's perishable? He says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven from you. Those are great descriptive words. Something that's unfading. Have you ever bought something new and within a week it's like, eh, 
it's not so cool anymore, right? It's kind of what we go through a few weeks after Christmas is all the new wears off of our stuff. But this gift, this inheritance that God has for you, it's unfading. It's imperishable. It will never lose its new. It is a joyful thing kept in heaven for you. And the last thing in which they rejoice is that they're being guarded by God's power through faith. They're being guarded. There's a shield around them that says the suffering that you're experiencing, the trials that you're experiencing, they're not the full effect of that. The full effect is being absorbed by Jesus Christ himself who absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf um, on himself for us. He absorbed that. And what we're getting is just the residual effect that comes through Jesus first. Now you think to yourself, wow, if I'm just experiencing a lesser degree of suffering than what Jesus experienced because he absorbed it first for me, it's still painful and it's still hard and it's still difficult. But listen, you experiencing suffering and trials, you're experiencing it in faith through Jesus and he is lessening the impact and increasing your joy in the midst of it, if you seek the Lord, and if you're faithful to abide in Christ in it, you're experiencing less of that suffering. And you always have the choice to not walk with Christ and to experience more of the pain of trials. But they are guarded by God's power through faith. Let's move on to the third idea, because he gives them insight into their trials. It's, it's usually our knee-jerk reaction to say, why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And so Peter gives them some insight into the reason for their trial. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though for now a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that, there's our purpose, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, right? so pause there, any trial that comes your way is meant to test your faith. Because a faith that is not tested is not a faith at all. The faith that is paved with uh, sort of a rainbows and s- sunny days is not a faith uh, that has been tested. And the faith that is tested is the one that goes through the fire, that removes the impurities. And we'll get to more about that in a few minutes. But, but God allows these trials to test your faith that it is genuine. That if you're going to walk with Christ, not because of all that He's promised you, but you're going to suffer with Him because He suffered, that you're going to struggle because He struggled, that you're going to find your identity in Christ in the midst of suffering and trials, He promises those blessings and it purifies your faith. He says it's more precious than gold, it's tested by fire, and that in the end it will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he points them to a future time when they will be in eternity with Jesus Christ in this worship place. And the sweetness of that future moment can never be fully appreciated if this momentary affliction isn't being experienced right now. You know, we're reminded Francis Chan had this great illustration where he, he pulled out a length of rope, maybe 100 feet long, uh, and as he stretched out this rope across uh, the uh, area back and forth. He said, this rope measures uh, a fraction of eternity. And then he put a piece of duct tape on the very end, about an inch long, and he said, this momentary piece of tape represents your entire span of your life. 
And so for eternity, you will worship and you will be a part of the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth. And this will be this uh, wonderful place where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. This body of death will be done away with. And so for eternity, you will rejoice in the presence of God, your Savior, Savior. Though now for a little while, you are experiencing affliction and trial and difficulty. Peter is giving them a perspective that this faith is worth holding on to. It's worth enduring the trial. The final thing he tells us, Peter is somewhat astounded, I think, but he says that they have a confident assurance of their faith in Jesus. And I've always wondered how the apostles handled this because they were with Jesus, they touched Jesus, they ate with Jesus. You know, they, uh, I don't know if they high-fived in those days, but they high-fived Jesus, they hugged Jesus, they, they heard Jesus snore maybe, they, they, they experienced Him in the flesh. They watched Him sleeping, they probably had to wake Him at times, they watched Him uh, row, you know, they, they watched Him teach and speak and they knew what He sounded like and they had a tactile experience with Jesus that, with their five senses that they will never understand. And then when Jesus died, and then when he ascended, they watched all that. And then they watched all these people, and, and it may be my speculation, but maybe they thought for a moment, how is anybody ever going to believe in a Jesus that they don't see? We watched him, and we held him, and we heard his voice, and we, his words echo in our senses, in our minds. We understand a smell can take us back to that time when Jesus did this. They remember all those things. And so listen to the way Peter describes it. He says, you, though you have not seen him, verse 8, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Isn't that outstanding? These believers were more convinced than the apostles were sometimes, right? These people who were, weren't even raised in, in synagogue where they understood the background of the 39 books of the Old Testament and they, they didn't have the background of, of all the, the Lamb and the Passover and the Mosaic Law and all the things that foreshadowed Christ. They only heard about Jesus and they experienced Him. Listen, last summer when I was in Israel, I was, I was amazed by the fact that my faith is not dependent on the land, the Holy Land, in one small bit at all. I came to know Jesus in Oklahoma. It has nothing to do with Israel. And as I walked around the land of Israel in Joppa and in Tel Aviv and in um, the Sea of Galilee, as I was you know, doing, um, floating on my back in the Dead Sea and as I was jumping into the Jordan River and as I was on a boat on the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I, I remembered all these stories from the Gospels and they all came alive, but I marveled more at the fact that I have an intimate relationship with God that has nothing to, it's not dependent on all those things at all. And if you never see the Holy Land, you can know Jesus intimately. Your faith is not dependent on you having to see, feel, touch, hear, smell, and experience Jesus in a physical way. And that's remarkable. So Peter is amazed at their confident assurance. And that causes them to rejoice. 
Well, let's close with this idea because one of the most difficult experiences in life is suffering. And consequently, one of the most difficult experiences for unbelievers is to reconcile why is there evil in the world? And why is there suffering in the world? Uh, A few years ago, a helpful article came out that said it's really not as helpful to ask why as much as it is helpful to ask what now. But we still ask why, right? And so in the midst of why, there's some helpful things that will give us reason. If, if we haven't already described them here in this passage, Tim Keller describes it in a great little book called The Reason for God. In chapter 2, I believe it is, he explains the problem of evil and suffering. And he does a great job. But after explaining why God might allow suffering, Keller asserts this. Listen close. God, rather than giving a lengthy explanation for suffering, rather than helping us to wrap our minds around the why, He does something remarkable. God quietly enters our suffering through the humble means and through a humble experience and through a humble suffering death. Died on the cross for us. Rather than explaining suffering, Jesus enters into the very midst of it. Therefore, though Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, it provides deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Christianity, Jesus himself offers you deep resources for suffering and for trials. Our deep resources for enduring pain and trial and suffering come from the fact that we have been born again to a living hope, to a person who suffered terribly and endured and now lives as our guide and our Lord and our companion in this life. Now that's good news. One time I spoke at a camp uh, in Haycock, and it was for maybe a hundred teenagers. And I shared my testimony of how I came to faith in Christ from an atheistic background and uh, from a very broken background and from a broken negative experiences to me that happened as a child. And, and as I went into detail to this sort of college um, and senior high group, uh, one girl I could just see in the back, she was really struggling with God. I saw her eyes roll and her, she was breathing deeply and sighing and she was just really struggling with me talking. I know some of you do that too sometimes, but she was not struggling with the length of the message, but she was struggling with like the content and the idea that, not that I was going on and on, but the fact that what I was talking about was difficult for her. And so after I spoke, you know, there's kind of the, uh, the bullpen and people are kind of waiting to talk. And so I'm saying hi to all these people, but I'm seeing her right here waiting to talk to me. And after everybody kind of goes through and we talk, I, I turned to her and I said, I could see you were struggling with this. And she said, I just don't understand in this sort of scowling way. I just don't understand how God can be good if he allows suffering. And I said, I'm so sorry. You must have experienced a tremendous amount of pain in your life. And she said, well, no, I haven't. I was in a good Christian home and I've experienced a loving family and I've never experienced anything. I haven't experienced anything like what you've experienced. My I haven't experienced any pain or any suffering, 
but I'm furious because I don't understand how God can be good to allow those things. And I don't understand how you can be okay with God for experiencing the things that you've experienced. And as I delicately just described to her, I, you know, I went through these trials outside of Christ at the hands of people who didn't believe in Christ. And even if they did, and I experienced these terrible events, I found in Christ someone who had suffered before me. And by identifying and finding myself in him and in his suffering, he gives me hope and strength and joy in the midst of... Not only that, but I was able to forgive those who wronged me and to walk with them and to love them. Those deep resources are not found anywhere else in the world. Those resources are found only in Christ Jesus. So if you're struggling with trials and difficulty right now, the greatest, safest place for you is in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you that you didn't just look at our suffering from the outside and say how sad it must be for them. You didn't just see the bitterness and the pain and the, the torment and the struggle and the violence and the persecution and the anger. You didn't just see all those things and say, uh, wow, must be hard for those guys to be human. But instead you became human and you entered our suffering with us. And so for that alone, we give you worship and praise this morning. We thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith because you suffered. And so we praise you and we thank you that as we suffer, we find resources for coping and for hope in the midst of despair. Would you draw near to us? And give us your strength to endure trials well. And that our affection for you, our love for you would increase. And our intimacy and our trust and our hope, all those things would increase. I pray that our faith would not fail. I thank you that we're surrounded by a body of believers. That even if we struggle, we are surrounded with people who say, Hey, I'm praying for you and I'm around you and I want to enter into your suffering and I want to be there with you. And even if you're struggling to believe, I believe for you and with you. And so I thank you, Lord, that you put us in a body of believers that are able to bear burdens with one another. Would you use this fellowship of Christians? Would you use us to strengthen one another? And would you use this message to encourage us and to give us hope in the midst of trials, even as Peter was encouraging those believers. In Jesus' name, amen.